0: On the record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. In the story of historic crime and in the emergence of policing, there is a special place for the story of the highwaymen, thieves who stole from those that were travelling on the roadway, usually travelling and robbing by horse, aiding for a quicker getaway. Um, sometimes the story of highwaymen have been somewhat romanticised. They're almost portrayed as being uh, Robin Hood characters. But in truth, a lot of the time, many of them ended up being executed for a litany of crimes that they committed on the roads of their country. Now, the reason we're talking about this is that tomorrow, October the 3rd, marks the anniversary of the death of a particularly odd highwayman story. Somebody called the Gentleman Highwayman, who was renowned for Courteous behaviour, frankly, while he was robbing you blind. Uh, the gentleman highwayman was an Irishman. His life and death is one of the most famed stories of these men, and of course, no one better than Donald Fallon to come in and talk about it. Don't, I, I'm, let, let's resist the urge to say that we're talking about one gang of criminals to another uh, when we're just segueing in from, from all the politicians. Uh, good to have you in, as always. Uh, crime, unsurprisingly, uh, is nothing new, but few criminals are as notorious, maybe, as the highwaymen.
1: I think it's fair to say, for, for as long as there have been people uh, on this planet, unfortunately, we've been in the business of stealing from one another. That's just that's just how it is, no matter what and kind that's of society. the story of international finance. No matter, no matter what kind of society we've claimed to live in, uh, unfortunately, it's one of those negative aspects of, of, of some people's nature. And the story today concerns crime in a particular time, yeah, the late 17th century into the 18th, and a remarkable Irish life, uh, James MacLean, who became known as the Gentleman High women. Isn't that absurd yeah. as a title? On par with ordinary decent criminal, uh, but implies a much higher social rank, of course. And as we'll hear today, the story of these men, and they were look, they were basically all men with one or yeah. two uh, dishonourable exceptions, you know, and their actions on British roadways, it's a complex one. It's influenced all kinds of things, as we'll hear later on. A certain word that's used all the time in British politics likely comes from these men. They influenced policing in these islands. Uh, And, you know, even today... Uh, they caused dispute amongst historians over the nature and motivations uh, of Mm. what they were up to.
0: Uh, James McLean that's M-A-C-L-A-I-N-E in case you're only tuning in late and you think that we're talking about an entirely different uh, contemporary (laughs) James McLean. Uh, What's so interesting about these criminals is their own social status because often despite you know basically burglary they're often men of means.
1: Yeah and the highwayman conjures up a certain image you know and and historians of crime are very clear to draw a distinction between them and another gang of men who are known as footpads. That's basically a thief often violent, who operated on foot in the in the kind of late 17th to early 18th century. Okay. And those guys they tended to operate in urban areas. Uh they you know put people into a sense of fear. They often weren't armed with guns but, but knives. Uh, and one 18th century traveller like, like a travel guide to 18th century Britain you know <laughs> said that those who are too poor to procure a horse commit robberies in the streets the town is their place of action and the country is that of the highwaymans in other words there's very distinct kinds of criminals out there uh, at that time and there's something of an underworld kind of dimension to the, the so called footpad but yeah. we, uh, you know, we might call them muggers today okay. but highwaymen are a different breed they're often men who came from the upper echelons of society or at least style themselves as if they had Uh, and you know think about a well-dressed man you know upon a horse armed with a pistol and it's, it brings to mind perhaps the Wild West but we're talking about you know 18th century Britain
0: Yeah, I suppose the, the fact that they're I suppose, upon a horse that, that that is already a symbol of means in a manner of speaking so maybe that's something that distinguishes them from these so-called footpads uh, you mentioned being armed by a pistol and that's a sequence of words that might even evoke some memories for people because everyone is familiar with one song about these sorts of highwaymen and it's a song that very much champions them and that's a song, of course, that a lot of people will know, maybe by uh, the, the Clancy Brothers, maybe by the Dubliners, maybe by Tin Lizzy.
1: Yeah, they're kind of romanticised not only in Britain, but here. Whiskey in the Jar, which brought Tin Lizzy to the, to the top of the charts in these islands, not just here, but also next door, includes that line, I first produced my pistol, then I drew my rapier. I said, stand on the liver for you are a bold deceiver. That song, they reckon, stretches back a long, long time. Really? And okay. uh, Alan Lomax, who was the, the great collector of folk music, he wrote about it. The folk of 17th century Britain liked and admired their local highwaymen, <laughs> and in Ireland, where the gentlemen of the roads robbed English landlords, they were regarded as national patriots. Such feeling inspired this rollicking ballad.
0: Love that that they just that they liked <laughs> and admired the local highwayman. That it was almost like an honour to be ransacked by this fellow on horseback on the way by. Uh, what a time to be alive! Um, this idea, though, of the folk hero of the highwayman, in fairness, as you might imagine, doesn't really tell yeah. the full story. Yeah, Alan Lomax was a was a
1: historian of song, not crime, and I think. <laughs> In truth, the highwaymen, so-called, they weren't as class conscious as Lomax and others wanted them to be. Like, yeah. They weren't Robin hood going around on a, on, a, on a horse, robbing landlords and other people of means. I mean, most of what they robbed in, in Britain, public coaches, uh, mailboys, they were easy prey. Okay. And, you know, what was a mailboy likely to be carrying? There could be money, there could be all kinds sure. of things on a, on a mailboy. So I mean, that still happens in our world today. Postmen get robbed. So a lot of what they were doing, you know, anyone on the roads who may have had anything worth taking uh, was regarded as, as, as fair prey. But there are kind of these examples of kind of Robin Hood characters in I, was, the mix. I was about to
0: ask you actually was it just this entirely invented myth or was there yeah, actually
1: something so to, to back it up Frank McLean who's, who's a historian of crime in 18th century Britain I took his book out for this it's amazing he finds this guy Benjamin Child 1720s highwayman in England who quote once made the chivalrous gesture of freeing all the debtors in Salisbury jail by utilising the money he had uplifted to pay their debts he literally took money uh, from the rich you know stole from the rich <laughs> yeah. and gave it to the poor so yeah it did happen on occasion
0: Uh, Absolutely brazenly there is one particular highwayman whose uh, sense of decency (laughs) uh, or at least his reputed sense of decency
1: uh, went further again than that I had to read this a few times in in, in the book it's just an amazing paragraph the courtesy of highwaymen was shown in, in various ways politeness to women avoidance of pointing guns directly at victims someone pulls a gun on you I I don't think it matters if they point it in your face or
0: no you wouldn't uh, think so still
1: a gun on the scene you know avoidance of pointing guns directly at victims lack of thorough searches of passengers even the return of favourite items of sentimental value and this line is ridiculous one highwayman actually returned with his victim to his house so that he could buy back a stolen favourite watch for two guineas
0: what what a gentleman you know I'm going to sell you back the thing that I just stole from you but I'm going to be seen as so (laughs) chivalrous that's amazing Um, this idea of stealing from the Given to, that's just it's yeah. it's bizarre that they would be celebrated for like you know being being willing to like sell back the <laughs> proceeds of the burglary that they just committed. That's um it's 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 pretty sensational. Um, anyway, let's talk about the gentleman highwayman then. This, this is this Irishman James McLean who had um again like a lot of uh, highwaymen a fairly comfortable starting S- life. Such an intriguing
1: story. This guy McLean he's born in Monaghan, son of a Scottish Presbyterian minister, and uh, yeah he acquires that totally ludicrous nickname. The more you say it, the more ridiculous it becomes. The gentleman highwayman uh, and the anniversary of his execution is tomorrow and it's a fascinating life the short life born in 1724 into a life of considerable comfort and when daddy dies he basically squanders his inheritance in Dublin on drink <coughs> women and and gambling The rest he just wasted <laughs> Yeah exactly <laughs> like, like it recalls Best. that great George <laughs> yes, Best quote doesn't yes. it? Uh, you know no fast cars yet in the 18th century but everything else was the same Departs for London to pursue a life uh, of crime and this is a, a, a great story I mean he initially tries to find a wealthy woman to marry in London uh, he pretends that he's a wealthy man he masquerades as a wealthy man a uh, high living gentleman hoping that you know someone rich enough will fall in love with him and sustain his lifestyle but when he realises that won't happen he instead turns to this great life of crime and with an accomplice William Plunkett. Uh he makes his name as a thief in Hyde Park. Now we think about Hyde Park as Hyde Park today. Yeah. Hyde Park then is like a relative wilderness, you know, in London. Okay, right. And they carry out these two Irishmen, twenty hold-ups in six months. So they're
0: particularly good at it. They're also quite kind. <laughs> Okay, (laughs) Right, Uh, might come back and and scrutinise that one in a minute. Um, Of course, this being Hyde Park, uh, admittedly, okay, not the Hyde Park of today, it's not the Hyde Park of Diana Memorial Fountain and all the sort of people who are hanging around eating whatever they've just bought from Harrods. Um, His his targets are especially high profile, which, which is partly then why he becomes this kind of fabled character. He becomes this public obsession
1: Yeah he robs from an architect called Sir Thomas Robinson uh, a, a Scottish peer like literally a member of the political class a Scottish peer is also robbed and then Horace Walpole who's this great writer uh, and and politician and he actually writes a letter of apology to Walpole after because he accidentally discharged his pistol uh, during that robbery, and he offers to sell him back the things that he's stolen
0: from him, which again is just <laughs> mm. extraordinary. So, but he, so, what? How does he do that? Does, does he? He doesn't say just like write in, like write a letter to the papers and be like, um, contact me at this yeah, address. I'd because love I'm stolen how, your stuff. I'd love to know how he did it. Yeah, uh, you know, re- re- email me at this address, but I don't, I don't know how he did it. But <laughs> yes. McLean
1: then brings about his own demise because he tries to pawn items from high-profile figures that he's robbed, and a pawnbroker's, understandably, uh, goes to the authorities. So he brings about his own demise mm. by kind
0: of robbing a, a particular kind of person who's um, going to want their stuff yeah. back. Um, in Georgian society and this is where things become a little bit surreal uh, because bear in mind this is a guy who is basically famous for being a burglar um, but in Georgian society he becomes a bit of a sex symbol yeah. uh, because his trial then draws a lot and I mean a lot of women who just <laughs> want to have a bit of a gawk at him yeah basically.
1: well I mean people are are, are, are attracted to, to power I suppose they always have been and I think the way that he targeted particular people in society it kind of makes him a bit of a heart chop to rich ladies and that's what he was going after when he first went to London and they had no interest in him but when you look at illustrations of his trial in the Old Bailey they're filled with kind of well-to-do female admirers and, and one illustration in the press is entitled The Ladies Last Farewell of Maclean <laughs> so people became kind of fascinated by the, yeah. the daring nature of, of, of what he was doing and he went to his execution uh, on the on the 3rd of October 1750.
0: Uh, I really do like sort of the pathé tones of that the ladies' last farewell of Maclean. they all showed <laughs> up to look at this brigand who was being put to his death um, in strange ways um, there, there are these kind of earlier obsessions with similar sorts of men which has kind of helped to, to shape our own times and you mentioned the influence on, on policing and politics and beyond
1: yeah look I, I remember a phenomenon of a certain time it's a perfect storm really you know the, the development of urban centers from which to operate increased travel between places political instability a class of people were robbing at last you know uh, in Ireland you had the dispossessed <laughs> sometimes you had men who came from families who once had influence suddenly didn't stripped of power on account of fate mm. so there's all kinds of reasons people are doing this but I think most significantly it's the absence of a proper policing body you know it's the okay. absence of the, the bobby on the street or whatever else and yeah it's not surprising songs like Whiskey in the Jar remain popular but you know, beyond lovable rogues let's be honest about these men some of the behaviour of violence including occasional sex, sexual violence Violence—it was despicable stuff. Uh, they weren't all gentlemen uh, or anything of the kind. Significantly, the legacy of it—the word "Tory," believe it or
0: not—ah,
1: <laughs> okay, yes, yeah, has very different meaning now. Mm. Apparently, and that is disputable. Apparently, it's an anglicization of an Irish word meaning "pursued men" or "men on the run." Okay, and it definitely entered politics as an insult. And then in time, I suppose, somewhat ironically, became synonymous with the Law and Order Party. But it's uh, it's said that the origins of that word Tory perhaps is wrapped up in all of this too. Mm. So the stories of these highwaymen, yeah, it's inspired films, historic fiction, uh, and definitely more besides. It is a fascinating journey through... Early crime.
0: I remember going to a Sinn Féin event a few years ago and there was a they, they have all of their, their pop-ups and all their, their party literature it's always all bilingual so you had Mary Lou Macdonald and Jerry Adams doing this thing in front of a banner that was complaining about the Jane to Egna and I remember going to a colleague and going <laughs> look, look at them trying to translate Tories trying to, <laughs> trying to find an Irish name for it and they were like no, no, no! Actually, we that that was that was our word. That he, he the way yeah. they translated it was like something like a brigand, like you know Barabbas the brigand. That that it was that kind of a thing. And um, before we finish, I was kind of struck by your your mention of um, Benjamin Child going back to se- 1720s highwayman, who made the chivalrous gesture of freeing all the debtors in Salisbury Jail by utilising the money he had uplifted to pay all of their debts. <laughs> that reminds me a little bit. And I promise, that I promise I'm getting somewhere with this. There's going to be a famous visitor to a lot of people's houses, I think, 12 weeks from today. Um, a certain saint whose name I won't mention because there might be certain ears who might pick up the mention of this. But it acquired <laughs> their reputation for gift giving because seemingly they did something similar where they lived in a neighbourhood where there was a family of young girls who were destitute living in a nearby house. And because they were all so destitute, they were all about to come of age and basically there was no history uh, or no future job prospect for these women other than to enter the oldest trade in the world, if you know what I mean. And uh, this particular saint acquires his reputation for gift giving by breaking into the house in the dead of night and leaving enough of a cash pile, basically, right. for them to be able to live off without having to then enter that particular profession, <laughs> uh, and that is a roundabout right. way of me saying that if you are stuck for a gift <laughs> option from said gift in twelve weeks' time, then Donald Fallon has a new book out. I love it. <laughs> wasn't we, that a segue? We, we,
1: <laughs> <laughs> without this entire, we do this entire segment in coded language, yeah. so children haven't got a clue what's on the radio. It's absolutely <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> Tree castles burning, a history of Dublin in twelve streets. Out now.
0: Uh, <laughs> I really thought you might do a slightly longer plug after the really elaborate long-winded setup that I did for there uh, Donald's book Three Castles Burning is out now as are his many other books including the Community Books and Henrietta Street from Tenement to Suburbia he's all the presenter of the Three Castles Burning <laughs> podcast which gives the book its name that's available wherever you get your audio online On the Record with Gavin Riley Sunday morning at 11 Brought to you by PwC Great Minds Think Unalike Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.